it must feel to be an early investor in all these startups that raise money and get valued at millions or tens of millions of dollars like think about the people who invested early in grab or ola or moka or any of the billion dollar startups in the region they must have made a killing on their investment right so how did those people manage to get the opportunity to invest in startups and how could we do the same so these kinds of people the ones who write the first few checks at the earliest stages of a startup are called angel investors and today i'm chatting with one of them alex dweck alex who's chief business officer of nas academy is someone with actually quite a unique viewpoint on the topic because he's not only an angel investor in several startups he's actually been through the fundraising process himself at the leadership level of nas academy which is by the way a happening new startup based in singapore and in case you love what he has to say and want to learn more alex has very kindly offered to answer questions via a future blog post so feel free to click the link in the episode description to submit questions to him so alex thank you so much for joining me today would you like to introduce yourself and maybe describe some of your experience with angel investing yeah hi amit it's great to be here thank you so much for having me Yeah, I'll give you first a little bit of background about myself. I think you mentioned I'm currently Chief Business Officer at Nas Academy, which is an online education platform for the creator economy. I spent the last four or so years working in tech, and about a year and a half ago, I started my investor journey. So I'm actually also quite new to this in the grand scheme of things. Um, I started during the pandemic, like many. I was starting to think about as I was working from home as I was thinking about my future that I hadn't really started to to diversify and think about how I can grow my money outside of just to be honest putting it in the bank. And so I I started very simply, you know, investing in in stock, investing on the stock market on publicly traded companies and then I I sort of jumped into angel investing shortly after that and and so since then I've invested in close to 10 companies. in industries and problems that i specifically care about uh, or know about or feel that there's a problem that needs solving and as you mentioned in my current job nas academy we just went through our own fundraising where we raised 11 million dollars series a where we had to go and pitch to vcs funds and other angel investors so i've seen it on both sides wow alex so 11 million dollars not exactly pocket change i have to say by the way congratulations on the fundraise thank you and uh, everyone here obviously looks forward to your rocket ship growth so how is it that you got into angel investing you mentioned stock market and stuff but obviously it's very different it's not exactly the first thing you think about when you're figuring out ways to invest your money no absolutely and of course it's a very different type of bet you're taking so I think the reason why I started even exploring this is that in my own career I love to develop people and take bets on people to grow and and do better and and be successful in the workplace. And so I saw a really clear parallel with the idea of someone who is starting and building a company and taking a bet on them to be successful and achieve their potential. So I think that's the thing first thing that drew me to it. And then I think the second part was that people building really exciting new things in specifically in Southeast Asia and Singapore and this part of the world. And I also saw it as a chance to learn more about new industries and and build companies. I I'd seen when I'd been in companies, I'd never really seen the nuts and bolts at the very beginning. I'd seen a company that had already been through that and 
had maybe looked to build a new department or a new vertical. And I was very fascinated with the idea of if I invest in a few companies now, regardless of whether they're successful, I'm just going to learn a lot about the whole investing process. So I think that when I got into it, the first thing I did was I, when I talked to friends or friends of friends or colleagues who were leaving and starting companies, I actually just started to talk to them about what they were doing and why they were doing it. And through that, I saw that there was an opportunity potentially to invest. And in that situation, that's how I just actually volunteered and said, well, look, if you're looking to fill a funding round, potentially, you know, if there's any room, I would love to take part. And that's sort of how my whole whole journey started. Wow, actually, that's a good approach. And in fact, you know, many of the reasons, almost all the reasons that you gave actually have nothing to do at all about making money. But I suppose that is a basic expectation. In fact, I kind of feel like the other reasons you mentioned are actually pretty interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people might view these additional elements as good reasons to consider angel investing. Because look, I mean, if it's only about the money, you're probably better off putting it into the stock market where it's easier to value these places. You have a lot more predictability around what's going to happen and so on. Yeah, so maybe I'll jump in there a bit. Yeah. Because I think that my approach was, I see angel investing in the long term as a great way to grow a portion of my savings. However, Mm. at the beginning, I was sort of very self-aware that I knew very little about angel investing. So Mm. how do I know that the bets that I take now are going to be successful? Well, I may have a a hypothesis or a thesis that it may work, but I knew that I had a lot to learn. And I think the second part, which you mentioned earlier, and I think we'll talk about a little bit later was, I knew the access that I had to investments Mm. would only be very limited to what I had around me. So that's why I treated it at the beginning as more of an educational experience and an opportunity to learn rather than the ability to make a lot of money as quickly as possible with the view that with these early bets and as I learn more and as I get access to more opportunities, all of this will become the knowledge that I will use to be able to invest more of my savings more strategically. So it sounds like maybe, as you said, a little bit counterintuitive. Why are you putting money away when you're you're not sure you're, you're not convinced that you'll necessarily grow it? But I saw it as, you know, over 10 years, that will lead to the education where I may be able to be successful. So in fact, Alex, uh, you know, when I was looking around for people who could talk about this topic, obviously there are several others who do angel investing, maybe they've done it for longer and so on. But what attracted me to what you've been doing is that you do it so early in your career. And that's why it was, uh, I felt like this would make a lot of sense uh, as a conversation versus talking to somebody who's end of their career, they've got a you know, ton of money, they've done everything else, and now they're also doing angel investing. But the way that you you explained it is exactly the reason why I thought it makes sense to have this conversation. So the point is, you know, you mentioned your nets and, and so on, but but here's the catch, right? Startups don't exactly advertise their fundraise in the, in the newspaper. So how do you make these networks? Do you have to be a member of some secret club or is there a handshake or something? In which case, please show me so I can also get in and hang out with people like yourself. Yeah, so I think that it appears from the outside that you need to be part of this exclusive network with people who are, you know, part of a startup community and are raising money and you need to be in the know. And actually, my experience was that you don't need to be in any network or in the know to start off. And I'll give you a couple of examples 
of what you may need to do to get started. So the first example, and this is one of my early investments, was that I was really interested in plant-based food because I am a vegetarian. And I was really curious about the fact that in restaurants, I was seeing more and more plant-based food, you know, Impossible, Beyond, all these other brands. And so I started saying, well, okay, well, I'm actually would love to actually explore this further, maybe even invest in one or two that I really like and enjoy. And that first opportunity came up through LinkedIn when one of the, I just started following all of the early uh, plant-based food, like sort of I looked for companies, CEOs and others. And one of those CEOs advertised that they were raising money through a crowdfunding platform. So this was a website where they were able to raise money from the public. And I was like, wow, that's super interesting. I can actually invest directly in them, even though I don't know them. And so, you know, the first opportunity for anyone on this, who's listening to this podcast is crowdfunding platforms. Wherever you live in the world, there will be specific uh, websites that will be dedicated to this. And you can go on these websites and you can register for free and you can actually explore all different opportunities. And in those opportunities, they often do a short video about what they're doing and they provide a, a presentation, a pitch deck where you can read about them. And what was interesting about that was the first opportunity in plant-based food, I actually missed it because it was so popular that it, it got oversubscribed, I think in a few hours. However, once I was on the platform, I started exploring others and I found another company that I really liked and, I, and that's actually my first plant-based investment. So I think number one, crowdfunding and, and sort of is a great way. I think number two, following companies and industries that you like on platforms like LinkedIn can lead to opportunities where people start asking for connections and leads. The other part that I found was interesting was when I saw a brand that I really love, going back to the plant-based example, and they were living in my city, I actually contacted them and said, hey, I am a, an individual who has these skills. I love what you're doing. And I would actually love to talk to you to see if there's anything I can do to help. So before I even invested, I offered my um, advice to them. And then when I actually had a couple of conversations, I had, I had one or two examples of this. Then I actually, they saw my value and I said to them, hey, now that I'm helping you, I was just wondering, is there a way that I could invest as well? So these are two examples that I think can be open to anyone, regardless of who they know and who they're friends with. And I think that's really critical. And I think beyond that, the other ways that I, I utilized very quickly was friends or colleagues I often ask them if they, they knew any interesting founders, and that was a great way to talk to people. And then the final one, which I think not enough people use, is knowledge on an industry. So for me, I have knowledge on ride sharing and food delivery. You know, I used to work at Uber and at Grab. And actually, there are a lot of startups who are trying to start companies in those areas. And so what I did was I actually started advising or offering my skills to, to people I knew. I said, hey, if you're ever looking to invest in a company in food delivery, happy to have a look for you for free to just review your investment and tell you whether I think it's a good deal or not. So this was the other side, which is the people investing. And I think what was interesting about that was that I got to see lots of potential investments from what others are doing. And then when I liked them, I actually said, hey, would you mind if I put a small amount of investment alongside you? And so I did this a couple of times as well. So in summary, I think utilizing public forums and even you know your network of friends in different ways can lead to investments without you saying, I am an investor and I'm going to invest a lot of money. I was very cautious at the beginning and I, I only invested small amounts, but these methods allowed me to invest either alongside others or through crowdfunding or public platforms. 
Wow, actually, a uh, lot of good tips in there. And just to confirm, when you say crowdfunding, you don't mean things like Kickstarter, right? You mean actually in uh, platforms that let you invest. Yes. So that's a very important distinction for people listening. So there are two types of, I would say, crowdfunding platforms that I have personally interacted with, which is those who just ask you to raise money to start an idea. And often in, in return, they give you maybe a sample of the product or they give you uh, some sort of benefit of being part of a club. And in those situations, you don't own any of the company. Right. But there is a second tier, which is ability to invest for a for shares in the company. And there's um, platforms like, there's a platform called Cedar. They depend on each country. But these ones you actually can read in the website, on the webpage, they'll explain how much of the company is up for sale and what you would get in return for investing. And they often have a minimum amount you need to invest. It could be a $500, $1,000, um, or more and you put the specific amount in. Okay, okay, got it. Okay, so that makes sense and thanks for the clarification. And just to be 100% sure, so there's basically no secret club, right? <laughs> there is no secret club. I, I would just say that, of course, there are some individuals or you may be in an environment where a lot of people around you are starting up companies. And that, if you have that opportunity, you should absolutely use it. Because as going back to the point about learning, you can learn a lot through just being able to invest with people that you actually know well and have a relationship because they may tell you more things about their challenges, what they're going through, the fundraising process that you may not otherwise know. But if you don't have that network, as I mentioned, you can still get into investing, angel investing, and do a lot of really uh, interesting things. Yeah, and actually, I mean, to carry forward that point, there's actually a bunch of angel investing groups also in many countries, which maybe people could find a way to join. So like I know in Singapore, there's Angel Central. In India, there's Mumbai Angels and, and so on. Every country has a few. And there are probably university or company alumni networks as well, where they might have subgroups that focus on this. So essentially, I think all in all, from your experience and what you're saying and from you know some of this knowledge around in the market, it seems like if you are definitely interested in making angel investments, there is a way for you to find and invest in startups. It's not it's not some sort of uh, rocket science there. But Alex, that's also only part of the problem, right? Which is getting in. Yeah. But the bigger question is also, how do you make sure you're getting a good investment? And how do you identify companies in which to invest? Yes. So that's a great question, Amit, because speaking honestly, there are a lot of ideas around there, around that people raise money for that don't end up being successful. And so you can never be sure that what you put money in at, a, at an early stage, that it will end up being successful. So you have to be prepared that it may not be. Right. However, I think that from my experience, there are a few checks that I always do to either identify companies or to make a decision whether or not to invest. So the first thing, and this is really, may sound very sort of basic or simple, but I find it a good check for myself, especially when there's a lot of excitement around a new idea, which is I do not invest in anything that I don't understand or wouldn't use. So if someone came to me with this brilliant idea in an industry that I know nothing about, and even if it sounds very exciting, if I don't understand it or wouldn't use it, I don't invest personally. And the reason why is because I don't think that I would have good judgment as to whether this will be what users want or what businesses want because I don't understand the technology behind it. I don't understand why it could be a success. Mm. 
So personally, and this is very personal, I stay away. I, st I tend to stick to things that I say either I understand because I'm, I know about the industry or I'm interested in it, or I personally would use as a product. And that goes back to the idea of whether it be things like plant-based food or, you know, when I joined Uber as, as, as a product, I loved using it. I loved being able to say, I could see the benefit of why a ride-sharing product would be great. And this was just in my career, but that's the first principle. And I think the second principle is showing interest in opportunities more widely doesn't mean that you have to invest. So what I do is I actually just try and learn and meet potential founders. I don't meet them saying, I want to invest immediately. I just actually just want to learn about their company. And what that does is it puts yourself in front of lots of opportunities. And then when you have lots of opportunities, you're in a better position to be able to judge. I like this opportunity. I don't like this. If you, for example, have four opportunities in, in let's say the next six months, you won't be able to have a sense of how does this look in the market or get opinions from different people. So I really encourage uh, before you make a decision to speak to a number of people, or if you're thinking about investing in a specific company, looking at what alternatives are there, what other companies are there doing the same thing. So you have a good sense of what the competition and the market is like. And I think the third part is when I identify companies, it's often that I meet them by accident. So what I mean is by being curious and just saying yes, you know, people contact me on LinkedIn, maybe for hiring reasons or for other, other reasons. I almost always take the call. I almost always reply and I meet them for coffee if they're in Singapore or meet them on Zoom. Just because by being curious and being able to meet more and more people, I just naturally expand my network uh, by helping people. You know, maybe in the future, it will lead to something interesting or an exciting opportunity. So I would say the third point that's really relevant to, to everyone listening is just always stay curious and meet new founders and meet new companies. Uh, you never know where it will lead. Okay. So actually a quick question over here as well. So it sounds like you actually do a fair amount of, uh, you know, these kinds of conversations with people. So how much time do you think you end up investing, let's say on a monthly basis or something in these kinds of things? Yeah. So because I'm selective, I don't just invest. You know, I don't say to myself, I want to invest in one new company every month. I filter by saying, I want to invest in a company that excites me. So in certain months, I found three to four great opportunities. And then I've decided to go ahead. And in other months, in the last sort of three, four months, I haven't actually had any companies that I've decided. I, I think actually there's one that I may be investing quite soon, but that came through sort of two to three discussions. So I think in terms of when someone's looking to have these conversations, what I would suggest is when you start your journey, I would be very proactive and try and meet as many people as possible. So going back to what we discussed in, earlier in the podcast, outreaching, so following companies you like, outreaching to CEOs of small startups that you want to meet, as well as like when people come to you and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you, meeting them as well. So you may set yourself a target, which is I want to meet for coffee at least one person per week. That might be a good way to start. And what you'll find is for every person you meet, they may introduce you to someone else or through a company, they may mention another company that they know that is doing great things and you may decide to reach out to them. So that discipline may get you started. And then once your network is a little bit broader, you may be uh, more selective and take only the meetings that interest you. But at the beginning, Amit, I really think that for all those starting up, they should not be scared to meet people, even if it leads to nothing. I would be cautious to not be too 
too picky to start off with because I think that you never know where a conversation may go. Right, right. And actually, in any case, it's not like anyone has infinite money. <laughs> so yes, it's probably okay. Anyway, you have, you have to be selective up to a point. So, so that makes sense. Yeah, and just to add very quickly, it's really important not to be scared to say no. I did one investment where I decided to do it because my friends were also investing, and I felt a little bit of peer pressure. <laughs> and afterwards, when I did it, I really regretted because I said, I, ultimately, deep down. I maybe should have put in. It wasn't that I didn't want to do the investment, but I, I think maybe I would have put in slightly less money, or maybe I would have asked a few more questions. So I think that it's really important to to be able to say no. And and you know, if you miss one opportunity, there will be another. It's not like there's this one opportunity. And, yeah. And you know, that's it. Okay. So actually, I, I really do like the point you made about understanding the product. There is, of course, the risk that you pass on something great because you're filtering based on your own knowledge. But that's okay. Uh, like we said, if you, you nobody has infinite money, so you it is okay to filter out things. So why not just focus on what you know? And speaking of making money, we have talked about a lot of very good reasons to do angel investing. But since the purpose is to ultimately make money, what are some ways you think people could increase their odds of success? So I think it's important to re- to reinforce that early stage of angel investors, which are often the first investors in a company, it can be too early to tell whether this company will long-term be successful. However, what you can know is whether or not you believe in the founding team. So when I've talked to other even experienced VC investors, they always say that they look for something called founder market fit. Do they believe this founder or these group of founders are right for the market they're looking to attack? And do we think that ultimately they could be successful because of their background and their skills? And so the reason why that's important is because many companies from early stage to success pivot and change their product multiple times. So what you're looking at in the deck may not be what ultimately the product becomes. So evaluating the individuals and saying, do I believe in them is one really um, important way to increase your, your chances of success. The second one that I find helpful is that in certain industries, there is a lot of hype. So at the moment, in October 2021, you know, one of the spaces that has a lot of hype is, for example, the crypto and the NFT space. So as a result, when there's a lot of hype, there are a lot of founders who try and build companies in there. It doesn't mean all those companies are going to be successful just because the industry is growing. And so I think a second piece of advice is to try and avoid the hype of the market and try and focus on why you believe that individual company, founder, product could be successful in that growing market. Otherwise, it's a risk that you just put the money in because you're like, wow, okay, I'm, I, I fear of missing out because there's a lot of growth rather than because I believe in, in this team. And I think the third one very quickly is, if you see an opportunity, you have to move fast. And what I mean by that is, there tends, and this is my experience, by the way, on the other side as well, <laughs> is that when a founder goes out and asks to raise money, they go through this very nerve-wracking time where no one yet has said they're going to invest. And in that time, it can be quite difficult for the founder. But what happens typically is when a founder does raise money, someone comes in and says, I am going to be your lead investor. And they'll put in the majority of the money. As soon as that happens, everyone, everyone yeah. else scrambles in and says, I want to join as well. And it, 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 at that point, as soon as that happens, it becomes more difficult actually to join an angel investment round. 
So what I would say is if you like something and you see an opportunity, if you are one of the first to say, I will invest, it's a way of making sure that you actually get in the round. And I, I really encourage people that if you have that conviction, don't wait for others. Just say to the founder, I, I'm in. And, and actually the founder will really appreciate that because they will see that you believed in them even before they got that really big investment. And that will put you in a very good position to join. Otherwise, the risk is that you will not get that opportunity because the founder can always say, sorry, we've already filled the funding round with with other investors. Right. Wow, that's very insightful. And I think it, it's because, of course, you've been on both sides of the table. So that's great. And sounds like the main point you're making is to bet on the founders. And I love the concept of founder market fit, uh, which is precursor to eventually product market fit and also if you truly believe in the people you should commit early so they know that you are firmly behind them so i think that's fantastic and it's really good practical insight that people can use now so so far we've talked about how to find the opportunities and especially the ones that have higher chances of, of being a success but are there also things that one needs to watch out for to ensure that you're actually able to join the investment or have some sort of protection from downside risk or maybe losing your money? Yes. So the first thing that's really important is every investment is different. So when you decide to commit to invest, what will normally happen is the founder or the lawyers from the company will send you the documents to sign. So my first piece of advice is read all the small print. It's really important, even though there will be actually jargon and terminology that you may not understand there are actually very big differences company by company. Some of the terms can be very, very friendly towards the company, and some of the terms can be very friendly towards investors. And I think what's really important is to understand what those mean. I'll just give one very quick example. Some founders make sure that for angel investors, whilst they're able to invest their money, they actually don't get to vote on company decisions, that those votes go to the founder. And that may or may not be important to you, but it's important to understand that you may not have a vote in decisions because there may be decisions that put your money at risk. So what I think is important as an angel investor when you look at these terms is, first of all, all these terms are Googleable on the internet, and there are actually a couple of great books about angel investing and fundraising that you can sort of read and tap into to understand the terms. But I think that as an angel investor, what you've got to remember is that you are not typically the person who is investing the most money. And therefore, you should not expect that all the terms will be favorable to you. Right. Uh, because what you're really doing at this point is you are focusing on the economic, I call it the economic substance, meaning that when you invest in a company, you're investing at, say, $5,000. What you're hoping is that company will eventually be you know, successful and that money will multiply. You're not actually investing to become a board member of the company or to control the company. And so if the terms are very much like, hey, you get your stake, but you don't get any control. I think as an angel investor, you should be okay with that, in my opinion, because you're not going to have enough votes to change the company anyway. So I would just be careful of not, whilst reviewing all the terms, try not to make yourself a burden on the founder because he or she may say, you know, you're investing a tiny portion and you're giving me more grief than the person who's investing 10 times more in you. And then, you know, they may decide that they don't want to include you anymore. So. Understand what you're going into, but try not to be a nuisance. That would be my one piece. I think the second part is, if you're going to invest, then you should try and help the company. And I think this is something that founders I've spoken to really appreciate, which is someone who doesn't just say, here is my money, but say, I'm giving you my money, but I'm also going to help you 
in the area that I'm really good at. So maybe I'm good at hiring. Maybe I'm good at signing business development partnerships in a specific area. But the more help you can give the founder and be a support, the more that he'll see the value of your investment to be able to you know, really keep you in the loop and be able to give you that visibility to understand what's happening to your money. And I think the final thing, which is more about actually getting into an investment, is if someone says, yes, you're in the round, you're, you're basically, yes, you can join and invest, it doesn't mean that you'll actually get a chance to invest. Often rounds are oversubscribed, which means that more people want to invest than get a chance. So what I've noticed from my experience of fundraising is that the people who get into the most rounds are the people who actually keep regularly in contact with the, the company. So they'll often check in with an email. They'll say, how can I be helpful? Can I introduce you to anyone? And they keep themselves top of mind. They don't just hear a verbal yes and disappear. So I think those three things can protect your money, get you more involved, and also guarantee that you you have a chance of being a success. Yeah, actually, the, the last point is, an, is a good one. So uh, especially in today's market, I suppose, the odds are loaded in favor of founders, especially if they're, if they're any good. So it sounds like one actually has to make an effort to ensure that they accommodate your money rather than assume that they're going to be grateful that you exist and you're going to give them something. And I suppose it makes sense because there is a lot of money around nowadays for all kinds of reasons, but relatively few founders that one could bet on. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, and that is, uh, that's actually quite eye-opening, Alex. So, so thanks a lot for sharing uh, this point and actually for, for the entire conversation. It's, it's been quite a pleasure. And just to summarize the key points for our listeners. So first point is angel investing is not some arcane magic. Essentially, anyone can get into angel investing in a variety of ways, including crowdfunding platforms or angel networks or friends, connections, or, you know, that tip you gave about offering advice to others who might be trying to invest. Second point is you don't get into angel investing only for financial growth because of the, you know, so many uncertainties involved. But there are other good reasons as well, like learning an industry or playing a part in building products people love. So again, your example of plant-based protein is a really good one. Like it's something that you want to encourage because it's, it's valuable to you and you're actually getting a chance to build it from the ground up. Third point that you made is that the main bet is really on the founder and the founder market fit. So make sure you bet on people in whom you have confidence and ideally in spaces that you understand. And the last point is just because you have money, doesn't mean the founder will take it. If they're any good, there's plenty of money chasing them. And so you need to make that effort to stay connected, add value and ensure that you're there in the list uh, for them. So this is all fantastic, Alex. I, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm sure at least a few people will walk away from this session with the, all the knowledge actually that they need to get started. So, so for those of you listening in today, uh, if you have questions, just a reminder that you can click the link in the description and head over to our website and we'll have a little form or something over there so you can submit your questions. And Alex has very kindly agreed to answer them via a blog post in future. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us today and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Amit. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Today we were Alex and Amit with Money Talk. See you next time. <laughs>